what happens when you cross Miles' birthday, a bottle of wine, and a Japanese film? Find out as we talk about Fish Story. Miles, Miles, Miles. What are we yes, gonna do? What are we gonna do with you, brother? Well, for this week, for my birthday, we are gonna watch Fish Story. And it's it's funny because while we're doing second chances, I was trying to think of something for my birthday that would also fit. And this is a movie that I actually only saw this year, earlier this year. And but it was one of those movies that just instantly like kind of clicked for me and became one of my tops and i i needed an excuse to to watch this with you but (laughs) before we do that because it's my birthday and because there is very very little information about the making of this film available in english i wanted to bring back a little something a little uh talk nerdy to me Talk nerdy to me. I don't have the the sound bite. <laughs> it's ready. been so long since we've done it. Uh, but while we were on uh, a little hiatus because of a mishap with my computer that caused me to have to get a new one, the Sony PlayStation Five event happened. And you know, I I kind of miss talking current nerdy stuff with you, so I figured this would be a good time for us to to chit chat about what we actually thought. I know we were texting, but this time we can kind of. You know, give some impressions. Uh, this would have been much more timely had it happened the day after, as had it initially been planned. But um, <laughs> let's you know, uh, let's talk a little bit about the Sony event. Yeah. So as as longtime listeners of the show know, Miles and I are both Sony fanboys. I've been right. I think we've done two live views uh, for two events. We two episodes were actually just us reacting to what was going on. <laughs> Probably so. So I, not that I dislike Microsoft or the Xbox or PCs or Nintendo or anything like that. I just, uh, the PlayStation is probably my go-to console for most things that aren't Nintendo games. Uh, and the PlayStation five, I have been very excited about mostly because I got a 4k TV this past holiday and I have, don't have a PS4 pro or any 4k gaming. So I'm mostly excited about stuff like that. Uh, we didn't really get a ton of information about pricing or other things, but we found out a lot about at least some of the games that will eventually, at some point, be on the PS5, uh, because they didn't give us a ton of release dates either. Yeah, I, I, I will say, the, the one disappointment for me, and I think I have mentioned this before the a thing even happened, is I was kind of hoping for at least a month. We've been hearing holiday 2020 for about this entire year. And a lot of the games they revealed, and this was a games-focused event, which honestly is a good thing. I'm not really somebody that has to see every little quirk about the system. I feel that like the games will will explain that. So showcasing everything that the PS5 can do with your games, to me, is more showing, not telling. And I appreciate having a little bit of what the system will be like at the end, and I think Sony did that pretty well. Yeah, I, I'm used to more of the traditional 
E3 reveal kind of stuff where we we find out, okay, these are the games. And we've already had the hardware breakdown, or at least some of the hardware breakdown. Not right. specific numbers, but like there's still a lot to know. You know, what their plan is, because this is the first time that we have a digital-only console at launch. Which I know is a big, big plus for you. I mean, it, it is. However... I will likely be getting the one with the disc drive in it because I don't like the I don't like to lose features. And also they've promised backwards compatibility of PS4 games and I have a right. bunch of PS4 games and there's a part of me that still thinks they're going to hold out hope that you can hold out hope that there's some announcement and, and also PS3 and PS2 and PS1 games, which I I mean, I, I would I would love that. I would absolutely love it, but well, if if not, I know this. I know you can go on YouTube and so, some 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 ding dong gamer is going to be, you know, foaming at the mouth of of similar things. But I really wish if if that's not the avenue they go, just open up a digital store like the old virtual console that Nintendo had, which I thought was one of the better uses of backwards compatibility because it had you had an entire library on there, and if you offer me. The entire PlayStation library, and I understand rights can be, you know, tricky for some games. I am understanding of that. I will still be very happy. Yes, there are some people who will never be happy about having to buy another copy of, you know, Threads of Fate or some weird game for the PS1. But you know what? I'll do it. (laughs) Even even if they rolled that into PS now, like I know that there are PS2 and PS3 games in PS Mm -hmm. now that you can play. And they were great. I would like for that to expand. I mean, I, I know I don't necessarily care to put my disc copy of Xenogears into my PS5 and play that. But I also have the PS1 classics Xenogears that I bought for five bucks on a sale that I can't play on anything that currently exists. Give me a reason to not need my Vita. (laughs) But even the Vita doesn't play everything. The Vita won't won't play Metal Gear Solid. It'll play VR missions. I I think for a very small portion of time, I thought that uh, MGS was available on the PSN. You can flag it to work in a particularly odd way. But it's still hit or miss. It's it's it, 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 like it's available in Europe. It's not available in the U.S. I don't know. It's something weird about it. There's, I feel like I played it not long ago, but I, I could have just made that up in my head. I, did, um, I, I played it on the PlayStation Mini, the little standalone console deal they put out. <laughs> But, uh, well, yeah, let's let's not go off well, too much on a tangent about yes. backwards compatibility. Uh, it is something both Drew and I very, very much want. And if if we get that, you might see an entire side side podcast by us. Um, but let's talk about some of the things that are maybe not Grand Theft Auto V ports. Because I'm sorry, I don't care. <laughs> I don't really either. I didn't care it was on PS4, and I don't care now. <laughs> it's so funny that that was like it, that opened up the show, and I I snarkily texted, "Oh, we're game for blah blah blah," and then I forgot at the time that that game came out for Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3. Mm-hmm. That game has been out for a long time yeah. now. It's like uh, I, I want to. I'm not, uh, look. I appreciate any game that is on any console so that if I want to play it, I can. But can we maybe put a pause on making big presentations about Grand Theft Auto V and Skyrim? I don't need those well, we games. have we have no Skyrim on PS5 yet. 
So, oh, oh, trust me. But uh, <laughs> it's it, going to happen. It's... They've said six is so far off that we're getting Skyrim again. Anyway, let's move on to some actual new games yeah. that they've announced because it, the, this, the, the show opened up after the Grand Theft Auto V thing with maybe the thing I'm most excited about, likely because it's the one thing that I'm pretty sure is coming out this year, Spider-Man Miles Morales, mm-hmm. which looks great. It's more of the Spider-Man game that I loved and platinumed, and it stars Miles, which is great. Not this yeah. Miles, but Miles Morales. Well, we can pretend it's this Miles, too, if you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I'm really, really excited. I, I love seeing him in the uh, 2018 Spider-Man game, and it seems like, as far as, you know, from the, the voice that we heard, they're still using that character, and that character will also likely fit into the Spider-Man 2 story. But I, I'm honestly, I am glad to go ahead and let Miles have his own story outside of a Peter Parker Spider-Man game. Like, let him have a Spider-Man game. And from, even though there's been some weird, like, will they, won't they, from what I have heard from the developers, is this is a standalone game and not an expansion. The, there was a bunch of confusion about that, but based on what I have most recently heard as I am recording here, this is, if you remember Uncharted 4 and how they created That's exactly what I was Unch- <laughs> Uncharted Lost Legacy, which was a $40 standalone shorter experience, or uh, uh, Infamous Second Son, one, a PlayStation 4 launch title, eventually had Infamous... Last light? What was it? I forget what it was called. Uh, neon lights or something? I can't. I can't, I can't remember. I can't remember. I but it was also a. It wasn't an expansion. It wasn't DLC. It was a side story that was standalone. That was a lower price. I can't guarantee they're going to price this lower than sixty bucks. Probably <laughs> not. But honestly, with as much time as I spent with that Spider-Man game. And I, I mean, it's a game that I nearly platinum as, as well. I just got really frustrated with some of the challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, but I spent a lot of time in that game and I really, really loved it. And all the developers proved to me, one, they know how a Spider-Man game is supposed to play. They write the characters supremely well that I, I am excited, especially coming off of Into the Spider-Verse, to see Miles get the spotlight and just deliver a very, very cool Spider-Man game. And even the way the the game looks in terms of their use of, of, of color and the, the time of day and everything, it still looks like a different kind of Spider-Man experience. And with Miles' power set, I think it's going to make for a very engaging game. That is going to be the coolest thing because Miles has a lot of the same powers as Peter, but a lot of different powers from Peter. And they showed off him going into stealth mode and him doing his venom sting and and that looks like it's going to be a very compelling thing and i can't wait for the team up in spider-man 2 i know and i really i'm already thinking of like how they might so i remember in the comics at least when he first got the power like as long as he's holding his breath he can become invisible and i mean having recently played death stranding i'm thinking of the some of the 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 stealth things you can do and how you're gonna have to like really divvy up the amount of time you can hold your breath through certain areas for your stealth mat, your, your stealth levels. I just think it's going to be really, really cool. <laughs> I'm excited. I, that That is because of its proximity. That is the thing that I think I'm most excited about. And the thing they open this up to uh, miles. What is something else that caught your eye? Um, let's see. Uh, you know, one game that we still know almost nothing about 
is Ghostwire Tokyo. Uh, speaking of like some of the, the AAA titles, this is one that uh, comes from the creator of Resident Evil, and it's uh, Bethesda and Tango GameWorks. And I, I still couldn't really tell you what this game is necessarily about. There's a first-person perspective and a very weird version of Tokyo that's overrun with spirits, and it looks really really interesting and i have no idea what it's going to be i mean having having played uh most every resident evil game and both uh, um the evil within titles I, I i think it's i think having shinji stories with a, a different and maybe a more uh i don't want to say confined but more collaborative experience might be beneficial because while i thought the gameplay for evil within 2 was was pretty decent it felt kind of um, boring. <laughs> <laughs> well, this does not look boring. This looks no. co- colorful and explosive and surprising. And uh, I would love to see that if, if there is the the fancy ray tracing technology that traces every particle of light as if it was in the real world and all of that stuff. All of this stuff. Yeah, that we, 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 all of this stuff that we can't really see in a 1080p stream. <laughs> Right, and we we saw some some neat things that that we can allegedly do with our controllers. That sometimes for me, unless I'm in a custom VR rig or something, I I don't necessarily need all of that for my controller. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I actually, this does raise a good question: Are there any trailers that because when we watched the stream, that was in 1080p maximum streaming. But they mm-hmm. released a lot of those trailers later on in 4K on YouTube. Did you go back and watch any of the- I have not. Um, I think I rewatched uh, Bug Snacks a couple times because uh, hearing it with the five-year-old commentary was pretty primo. <laughs> and if you haven't seen the Bug Snacks trailer, one, that game looks cute, but also... It looks weird. Wild in, a, in, a, in a very disarming way. <laughs> but it looks it looks fun. Um, it's by the creators of Octodad, so you know it's going to be weird. But yeah, I, I think that um, that's the only one I've gone back and rewatched. Uh, well, no, I take that back. I watched the, the Miles Morales trailer a couple times, and the uh, one that I thought was kind of a surprise for me was the Demon Souls remake. <laughs> yeah, that is. I mean, I never played Demon Souls. I've barely played Dark Souls of the Souls games. You played the, three, though. I played three almost to the end. Mm. I did not beat the final boss in three. I kept failing. And That's then, still. And then got distracted by something else and will never go back. But, uh, <laughs> and then I think we played uh, Bloodborne for the show. So I we did up till where, where we needed to where, where we needed to play Bloodborne for the show. But uh, that's one that looks pretty amazing. And based on the reputation, again, I, I feel like that one's probably not going to be PS5 exclusive. That was another thing that's a little. Well, the first Demon Souls was, I think. Yes, but all the Dark Souls games after that have not been. So it seems it's it's up in the air. Who knows? Well, it's hard to say because um, uh, Sekiro, I think, was only on PS5. Sekiro was only on PS5, and Bloodborne was PS4. On, sorry, PS4, and and uh, Bloodborne was only on PS4. Or no, wait, I'm seeing it is going on Xbox One as well. 
I, I must have missed that. Uh, then never mind. Yeah. <laughs> Strike what I said. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm really curious, though. But, I mean, the, the, thing to, the thing to keep in mind with a lot of these conferences, especially when they're showing a bunch of games, if you, is if you don't see Microsoft or Sony before a a game trailer, it's often not necessarily going to be an exclusive. Now, there were some that did say this game is exclusive. Like, Spider-Man is going to be an exclusive game. It's, it's by a Sony uh, development team. It's the but, reason why the PlayStation font and the Spider-Man font are the same. Uh, yes, <laughs> there is that as well. But I, I think that some of these games will probably stick around for for a little bit. I, I don't know about Demon Souls. I was really impressed by the trailer. Uh, that was a game that I I had been waiting for when it came out. I had heard that they were going to be you know re-releasing Demon Souls to some degree. I didn't know a full remake was going to happen, so I was. I was pretty surprised by that. Uh, we we were inundated by text when uh, we were watching this thing because uh, our buddy Mike is a much bigger from software person than <laughs> I am, even though I love them. But it, it was a lot of um, expletives and superlative language. <laughs> uh, but one that I am very much looking forward to is uh, Sackboy, A Big Adventure. I think that game looks adorable and like a fun platformer and... I, I've enjoyed Little Big Planet, but I think this this looks really really cute. I you know I'm hit or miss on that one. I uh, I don't have a ton of experience with the Little Big Planet games. Um, in fact, the last time I can tell you the day, not necessarily the date, but the day uh, I played a a Little Big Planet game for the last time, um, it was in uh, early 2011. I was playing uh, uh, Little Big Planet Three using the Metal Gear Solid Four uh, character sets and models and all of that, um, and uh, I turned it off when uh, Rebecca and I found out we were having a kid. <laughs> so <laughs> that 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 yeah, I, I can I can see why that uh... <laughs> never never played a Little Big Planet game again. Um, <laughs> Uh, it looks like a really fun platformer, and it definitely looks like something I can play with Krista. And I mean, all all the cute characters are are popping up from the little big planet world, and it, it just looks like a really fun multiplayer platformer. And Sony definitely needs one of those. They they don't. I mean, Little Big Planet is probably the closest thing, or along with Crash, to a Mario or Sonic for for them. Yeah. There is, and this uh, I think is probably the thing that I am most excited about what they announced. And I'm disappointed because I it, it has come to light later that they are aiming for a 2021 release for this game and not a launch release, which makes me very sad. And that is Horizon Forbidden West, the sequel to Horizon Zero Dawn. And yeah. I am hyped for uh, that game. I loved Horizon Zero Dawn. It was a super compelling story for me. It was the exact kind of like checkpoints on a world map to go and unlock to do things. I loved that game. I loved the style of that game. I I loved that game. And I have been waiting for this sequel that I know they've been working on for years now. And I know we knew it was coming. I was hoping they were going to announce it. I was hoping it was going to be a launch again. But, you know, I can wait. I'll be patient playing. Oh, 
playing Persona I, 5 again on the PS5. <laughs> well, it's funny because I was thinking to myself, they are either going to show one of the two big, you know, Sony-specific titles. It was either going to be Horizon or God of War. And I just don't think God of War is probably far enough I don't to think show it is. off. I don't think it is. I think we'll see it next summer in terms of a trailer. That but, seems like um, a great 2022 release for when the PS5 has a more substantial user base. And, and you know, being out. Um, hopefully. hopefully. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, w- I was kind of, I was really, I really enjoyed what I played of Horizon Zero Dawn. But I think I would have enjoyed it more had I not literally just completed God of War 2018. <laughs> um when I played it, which you you can hear because we when we did our our podcast or this year, I had literally just finished that game, and so I, I think I was a little exhausted from those kinds of expansive open world games, and I I should have taken a break before uh, playing Horizon because I did really enjoy it, despite some snarky comments I had about the actual society in the game. Um, and, well, <laughs> and you didn't get far enough to to get to the big. Uh... The big story stuff, so. No, I, I didn't, but I, I did enjoy it. I thought it was a very good-looking game. It played very well. Um, there was some some indie-looking stuff that I was really into. Um, the, uh, what was it called? With the guy and the old man and the... Uh, um... No, no. Uh, well, there's Stray, the one about, uh, where all the humans have died off and you play a cat. A cat amongst uh, a world of robots. Yeah, I like that one. And... Uh, I mean, come on. Good Ball Vol- Volcano High was like made for someone like me. It's, a, <laughs> it's an emotional coming of age story that's set at the you know end of a of an era for a bunch of high schoolers. Like, and it had this like indie style soundtrack uh, music. I was just like, yeah. I mean, yes, they they're all like little like anthropomorphic creatures. But I was like, this 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 game was made for me. Like, I enjoy these kind. I love I love stuff like that. I love these kind of narrative interactive stories i love like oxen free and crossing souls and stuff like that so i'm i'm really excited about that it's probably not a ps5 exclusive but it was cool they showed off that kind of game what i liked about this presentation is there were so many flavors of things that they just didn't stick to one type of game uh so so even though you had a game like that or um the really cute looking game that comes with your uh, PS5, the Astro's Playroom. Does that come with it? Yeah, it's it's it says. Uh, I think it says it, like it comes with the system, like a little it's like a little download thing that comes with the system. Uh, that's oh. what the trailer says, at least. So that's that's pretty cool. It's probably it's probably like the little pack that comes with your PSVR or something that kind of shows off. This is what the system does, and here are some games that kind of play with those. Um, Interesting. And there were there were more games than what we're going to talk about. Yes, there was also Resident Evil Village. So I did mention it. So someone does yell at me. Uh, I I'm interested. I'm, I'm curious about going back to the village. Uh, but you're using two characters that I care the least about in Resident Evil, uh, Ethan and Chris. <laughs> so you know, impress me, I guess. <laughs> I need to go back and play more than five minutes of Resident Evil Seven. Yeah, I'm kind of for one one reason or another. One reason or another, I'm been hoping they would put it on the Switch. I don't know that if the Switch can handle seven. I mean, it might be you know a little bit lower, but I mean, if there's some games that I think they put on there that I wasn't expecting, so 
we'll see. But yeah, um, overall, I, I, I gotta say, I like the design of the PS5. I think it looks cool. It um, looks fine. I've grown on it in the couple of weeks since I've seen it. I would like to see a version that is mostly black or actually, honestly, what I would like to see is the white fins to be black and the black middle portion to be blue to kind of match the PlayStation 2 style, I think would be really cool. I Honestly, if you make consoles, add some customization options for your player base. Seriously, if I had the chance, even if it was paying like $25 more, maybe even $50 more, but I could choose the color of the frame that my system came in, I'd do it. That's why you have a whole subculture of people modding out systems. Okay, Nintendo GameCube. Uh, let's... <laughs> let's uh, I love the Nintendo GameCube, and I love the uh, Game Boy Advance SP. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and Well, Microsoft has had their color-coordinated, uh, like custom controllers that you can yeah they, they can, they've done do, something like that which is and cool i'm glad i would like to see that for for more stuff but i think this is about time where we stop talking about video games and start talking about other blended pop culture references as we oh, get yeah. into the 2009 film fish story so yes so as we mentioned uh on our last episode, I want to say last week, but we missed a week. Uh, as we mentioned in our last episode, this is the the 2009 Japanese film Fish Story. There yes. is a Swedish film called Fish Story and an American film called Fish Story uh, that that have the same title but are drastically different films. This is the 2009 film directed by Yoshihiro Nakamura, based on a novel by Kotaro Isaka, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Let's get into it, Miles. Tell yes. us, give us the the back of the box plot of Fish Story. Well, so it's 2012. A huge comet can be seen in the sky on a path to destroy Earth. The U.S. has failed in their attempt to blow it up, and only five hours remain before impact. All the major city streets are completely abandoned. That is except one record store that continues business as usual. Within the store can be heard playing on an old turntable an unpopular Japanese punk punk band called Gekirin. And basically, the the tagline of the movie is, Can Punk Rock Save the World? And what follows is a story told through different time periods, out of sequential order, much in the way that a lot of films attempt to do. Uh, made most popular in the United States by Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction, I would, I would, I would venture to say. And I feel like this movie really successfully delivers a story that I never felt cheated. I never felt when they give you the twist. It never felt like. It never felt condescending. A lot of times, there there are twists that come out in movies that are told out of order where you kind of feel a little dumb for not, for not getting something. And here the movie gives you something and then it connects the final dot for you. And it's more of like, Oh, cool. And not, uh, well, cause by the point that they connect the final dots, it is really one of those situations that we've mostly put it together. They're just giving us the opportunity to see 
some things that yeah. they cut out, some some moments that that they cut out of the the previous versions, and uh, you know I, I compared this uh, before having seen it to something like Survive Style Five Plus, which is very vignette based, but the mm-hmm. vignettes have a little bit of crossover, and I think there's I, I think there's honestly some truth to that, except everything crosses over because it's really a story about how this one particular obscure song that came out a year before the sex pistols were formed that they tell you over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah. And that's a weird thing because, um, there's always a conversation within, within music about whether the sex pistols actually did anything in terms of founding punk or was it the Ramones in, in New York? It's, it's a ongoing thing that no one really cares about. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, the, basically the idea is before, before punk rock was established to the known world, and after a lot of bands had either broken up, like the Beatles, or gone in different directions, like your uh, Velvet Underground or even MC5, there was stuff that there was this weird period of rock and roll globally that that people didn't really know what was going to happen next, and a lot of people were falling back on maybe some more traditional styles, as this film shows. And so here is this band that is unpopular playing a style that has not been made popular yet. And it's kind of a it's honestly the story of this movie, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So so we are introduced in the very beginning of the film to to this man. He's in one of the of a motorized scooter. Uh, He (laughs) clearly. He clearly has something going on, and he st- and, and we learned that he's also got a cane as he pulls the cane out to knock over an entire rack of bikes, which is fantastic. Um, oh, actually, we should clarify: uh, this movie actually opens with a clip from the Japanese Tokusatsu series Go Ranger. Go Rangers! I mean this this film opens up with Sentai. I mean, when I when I, when I first watched this movie and that was the opening scene i already knew okay this is this is a movie that is a hundred percent for me (laughs) so so we 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 then you know follow this guy and he's he's in uh, the city in japan and it's oddly super empty and we don't quite know why and it's as he sees the store to the record the the sign for the record store and it's open as he's about to go in, we look up in the background, and we just happen to see this giant fireball in the sky. Not the sun, a different, closer fireball. Uh, I also like how quiet this moment is. Like, we still see, you know, him doing his thing, but there's no dramatic music playing. It's still this this one scene with this guy in, in, in what we, as, as, as the camera keeps showing you, a completely abandoned city. And there is what's clearly like a painted in the background fireball in the sky. <laughs> um, but I like that. I like the fact that it's 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 not forcing you to be like, oh my god, the world's going to end. It just shows you. It's very very zen in in showing you this opening segment. Yeah, and and he goes into this record store and he encounters the owner and a patron who are seemingly ignoring what's going on. They're talking about music and how, oh, this is really great. Oh, you should, oh, you should check out this, da, 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 da. And he basically confronts them about this to find out what they are talking about. And this is when we are introduced to the song Fish Story. And they play a bit of it. 
And as, as that happens, we're transported back to 1982 for our first vignette. Yeah, and what I love about every single one of these vignettes, and I want to say that before we kind of start getting into them, is each segment can carries like a particular mood that I think is purposely set to throw off the tone. Like yes. I, I, the one we're about to talk to, uh, talk about has has a bit that honestly mimics the atmospheric beats of a Japanese horror film. And there's there are scenes that are are filmed specifically to keep the viewer anxious, but it never quite crosses the edge of going like full stop genre. And then, you know, in the same beat we'll have a segment that not to spoil anything, but it has a comedic kind of martial arts take. And, but but when these segments happen, I feel like the movie plays them straight as if like, okay, this is this story. We're playing it as we're telling one of these stories. I don't think the movie ever comes off as purposely going, oh, we're zany. No, if that I, makes I, any no, sense. I, I, they, they very rarely play for the laugh. I think right. there is one moment in particular that is played not to be goofy, but to be a little bit out there and and zany and wacky in a way that the rest of the movie is not. And I think that is right. the, the the boat scene. Uh, are you talking about the entire the the martial arts bits? Yes. So. I think that one, it is definitely the most, I would say, outlandish. But because of the type of movie this is, and and because, you know, we already know a comet's coming towards the Earth, we have this science fiction thing, and it's the film is bookended pretty much by this this closing segment of uh, Go Rangers, which I believe is the very first Super Sentai uh, in 1975. I, I can go with it. From, for, well, at least I can. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah I, mean, no, no, I mean, I, I don't want to. I don't want to say that as as a criticism. I really enjoyed. I enjoyed this movie quite a bit, and I, I really especially enjoyed the the payoff as we mm-hmm. have these basically disparate groups of people all sharing this connection that none of them know they are sharing, and. And how that plays out to, well, I mean, we're going to end up spoiling this movie. We should jump yes, into spoiler yes. zone. If you don't want to, if you would, uh, we, I would recommend seeing it. Miles, according to you, they are going to release a Blu-ray this year. You said yes. Uh, Third Window Films, which is a UK company distribution company that that uh, puts out Japanese or Asian films, uh, are putting out a Blu-ray August tenth. I asked them on their Instagram if it was region free, and they said it's region B, but will play in any player, which I thought, okay, that that's fine. Cause I, I specifically said I'm in the States and I don't have a region free player is it will, I mean, um, or, or, or all region player. They said it will be able to play everything I have ordered from, from the UK before with these types of releases and more times than not, they have played, um, so I am really, really excited. I will definitely be putting a link to their page uh, when we post this episode. But yes, uh, otherwise, it is very, very hard to find this for a decent price. I was lucky and bought it from a seller who was selling stuff from a library and didn't know what he had. And I got it for $9. <laughs> oh, boy. 
I have seen it go as high as 80. Nice. Well, it's it, it's it's been out of print for a while. It, it was on Netflix at one point a few years ago. Really? So it's it's not. Yeah, it's not out of this world to to see this movie. You can find it. It just as far as like owning it, it, you, it, it takes some doing. Well, if you are a time traveler and happen to be in the time frame <laughs> that this was on Netflix and listening to us today talk about it. Um, First well, off, if you get it, tell me if you do get Netflix on disc, uh, they do. Netflix does offer it if you have their uh, disc subscriptions. Oh, cool. Uh, so, well, with that said, because spoiler time from now on, from here on out, because I found this movie to be extremely charming, and the way that everything connected together worked very well for me. Um, in a way that I was not anticipating when the film started. Uh, of course, right after they do the whole. Uh, Go Ranger bit. Uh, they talk about a Gundam saving the planet yeah. from a from a comet about to hit into it, and that is a Shars counterattack. Uh, yeah, reference, there, there's which there's made me very like, happy. <laughs> I, it was, it's funny when I first uh, saw this movie, and I, I knew I, this was going to be my, my birthday challenge as soon as I saw it. I kept in my head, I was like, Drew's going to love the little Gundam throwback because <laughs> the, the the record store scenes are like these clerks who are just like these nerds who are having conversations that Drew and I would normally have about Sentai and Gundam and, and relating it to, to other things. And it's, it's really endearing. Um, but as before we get into the scare, uh, spoiler territory, I, I gotta say, watch this movie. It is a love letter to, I, I would say like the, the misfits that the, you know, punk rock is supposed to represent because every, everyone in, in these segments, every protagonist is a misfit. Everyone's a little, little bit of an outsider, and this movie is—it has a resilient hope, hopefulness that really just kind of sticks with you for days. And I just—I really, really, really want more people to see this movie. I think if you have any sort of creative passion, whether it be music or writing, uh, or even just consuming, uh, I would—I would recommend seeing Fish Story at least once in your life. And there is something to be said about meaning and what things mean to people and mm-hmm. how they can mean something different to people that is very very interesting in this movie i want to start talking about it miles i want to talk about yeah it. let's do it let's do okay. it okay from this point forward it will be nothing but spoilers what one thing i really like that this movie does is uh, being a kid that was always obsessed with music, it does recreate that feeling of talking about what some songs meant. And the segment where the the trio of people are driving to, to meet some girls at a bar and they're talking about this one kid's cassettes and they're going over these urban legends like, oh, I heard that there's a woman that screams in this song and, oh, this <laughs> song is cursed. And, and I remember having these conversations like with, with, with friends and stuff so this is the, yeah, the, fir- the first vignette that we see is, is this group of friends who are meeting some girls at a bar. And it's 19, 1982. Yes, in 1982. And we, we see them play the song. They talk about how there's a minute of silence and that it was done on purpose because on the album it says there is a, a, like a pause. It's intentional. 
and but they drum that, up this. But what that has become to the to this group of people in the that that read these these obscure horror fanzines and things is that it's because there was a scream on the album, a woman's scream, and the the studio didn't want it to happen, so they cut it out, didn't tell the band, and that people with a sixth sense can hear the woman's scream. I, I, I love this. It's like if oh, if you play like Van Halen backwards, like it's a satanic message. Which they you know, even they it, even reference one of the other things. And then if you play this tape backwards, it says that something about like yeah, it's 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 really really fun. And so it, it kind of continues kind of normal. You kind of get a little sense of the personalities of the people. Uh, one is clearly this just huge jerk. One's a huge pushover, and one's just kind of a nerd that somehow is is one of the cool guys. They, they go to this bar, and they're talking to these girls, and one of them happens to be in the same sort of occult stuff. All of her friends say that, oh, she has these predictions, and they have this weird conversation about Nostradamus. And, <laughs> and this movie was made in 2009, and I was like, are people even talking about Nostradamus in the 80s? I can't remember. Like, I remember Weekly World News stuff, but, like... Well, again, I, it was, I just, it's, it's one of those things where you got you to think that maybe... It is a very Jap- – this movie is very Japanese when it comes to mm-hmm. what, what they're doing, and maybe Nostradamus was big in Japan at that point. We just don't know culturally. It's before either of us were born, so. It's true. Um, well, the, the the girl is told – is, is said to have predictions, and so she turns to the one guy who's been driving, this kind of pushover guy, and says that, you know, you're going to meet – a girl that you're or you're fated to meet a girl and you will basically be responsible for saving the world or saving humanity. <laughs> something there's no not, not the exact words, but something to that effect. Do you remember more precisely? I can't at this point. It, like, it's, it's like something you are fated you are fated to meet a woman tonight that that and they, they, but they also talk about the the champion of justice. They start that well. They started that conversation about champions of justice earlier in the the 2012 bit. But uh, yeah, well, yeah, we'll, we'll go back to 2012 in a second to to bookend this because there was some stuff that we didn't mention. Um, but this segment uh, pretty much goes on after that. Uh, you know, the guy takes them to another bar and. The, her her words ring out because she says, "Hey, you got you got to start standing up for yourself, or you're you're not going to meet the woman you're fated to meet." And he sort of backs down from talking back to the sort of uh, alpha male character. You may notice that we are avoiding names. It's because most of these characters do not have names that are actually spoken on screen. Yes, um, the only the only named characters are basically everyone in the band segments. Each of these characters do have names based on the characters from the book, but you know it's hard to to, to talk about that. But the bully, so the bully character that we have met, that 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 the driver, the meek driver character, uh, we are led to believe to this point that it is entirely possible that he is supposed to be the one to like she is the woman that he is destined to meet, and he needs to stand up to protect her. And you know, it's funny that you say that, Drew, because the very first time I saw this movie, I thought the exact same thing. On uh, second viewing, I, so I, I, I pick up some of the hints that she's not talking about herself. 
So it's 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 interesting to to mention that because I also thought that well if it's supposed to be her that's a little on the nose they're making they're yeah. but that also makes this this scene infinitely more tragic for me especially yeah. based on what happens next um but the 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 bully guy has taken them to quote a bar but it's actually a love hotel and the bar is just around the corner but he the he, he he's not he's not a, he's not a great guy. He's not a great guy, and he's sending he's trying to send uh, the the meek driver guy away, and the driver guy does what he's told. He gets back in the car and then decides that he's actually going to do something, and and he gets out of the car and he races over and they are just gone. gone. So the scene that comes next, he's, you know, he's driving down the road back where he came from. And obviously he's yelling at himself, but what he kind of beats on the steering wheel uh, in anger, the, the tape kind of pops into the cassette player and it's still the fish story song and it plays through and until it gets to the moment of silence, the moment of silence where you are supposed to be able, if you have a sixth sense to hear a woman scream. Yes, and he's got the window down, and he hears a scream. And this scene is so well done, because he stops his car, and the way the camera focuses on him, but has enough focus on the background so that you can kind of make stuff up. In a lot of Japanese films, that is where something either slowly rises up or slowly comes from the foreground. It's something that's done in almost every Juwan or Ringu film, or Ring film, it's done in a lot of Japanese urban legend films I've seen. And so this, this worked for me the very first time I saw it because I was like, oh, man, this is, this is getting cool because I'm really curious what's going to happen because I did not know really what I was getting into with this film. <laughs> and so I'm, I keep expecting something to happen. It's a really good, tense moment. There's no, there's no uh, uh, other music. And then you hear, you hear another scream. And he starts to get the feeling that, hey, maybe it's something outside and I should probably check it out. Because he has the window rolled down at this point, which he was prevented from doing earlier when it got to that point. Yes. And, uh, man, I, th- <laughs> that, that whole scene was just so well executed. Because When this happened, I was like, I don't know what kind of movie I'm watching. So, because, again, I, I heard it was a science fiction-ish film. So I assumed maybe some horror elements... And and not knowing what kind of movie it was, when it changes its tone, it really does kind of mess with you a little bit because your ex- expectations get kind of uh, put in disarray. And so he gets out and he just dis- decides to to check out the direction he heard the noise. He comes across a a car that's parked but still idling, and and hears some noise in front of it. He can barely make it out. You see a shape over another shape and it looks like in any other horror film what what you would think a a vampire or some sort of monster may be feeding on somebody a zombie maybe it's shot that exact same style even the way it's framed until he turns on the light and we see it's a guy over a girl he's attacked this this girl uh, uh, you see her bike nearby and she's, you know, yells out for help. And he he kind of slowly, very slowly gets what the situation's about. Because <laughs> I, I, I thought I thought his 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 way to, to like 
you know, analyze situations was was not the best. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, and again, this is one of those things where I think it's, I actually think that because he's very slow to react and very slow to make the decision that he makes to attempt to help her. And that is maybe the most earned moment in the movie because he has been so meek. He has been such a pushover. He's weak. I mean, like this is a tiny dude. He's got little skinny arms. It would take a lot for him to decide to make this decision. And he ends up making the decision. And that's when we cut back to 2012. Yes. Um, what we didn't finish up, because I got really excited talking about this movie, is that the guy who was in the little electronic wheelchair at the beginning has come into this this record store. And he sees these two nerds who are carrying on business as usual. And he's very surprised because the world's about to end. A comet is coming towards the Earth with a 100% impact possibility. Like there's there's no doubt that it's going to hit it's going to hit near Japan. It's going to uh, cause a tidal wave, uh, quote, twice the size of Godzilla. <laughs> um, and every other avenue at stopping this. Uh, I love the jab at Armageddon. The Americans <laughs> Operation Armageddon was a failure. The vehicle blew up before the bombs went off. I <laughs> And one of the guys is like, maybe Bruce Willis is still up there. It was very funny. <laughs> Very funny. It's a it's a really good moment, and so this one business guy is basically making fun of these two nerds for carrying on when he know, when he's like the, the world's about to end, and I've lived this great life, I've tasted all these exotic foods, I've done all these crazy things, I've had threesomes, all this stuff, and you guys are just sitting here listening to music, and they have this great conversation of well heroes are going to save the day a team of five heroes and this is when we see like you know uh, the go rangers in the background again and you know you have the conversations about gundam and and everything and so we we go back and we get a little bit more history of of the band he gives a little bit about who the band were and you hear a little bit more of the song and you get some more personal you know information from the older gentleman who's had, had entered the store uh, I wish he had a name because I could give it to you. Taniguchi, <laughs> according to the book. <laughs> right. Um, and I think from then, do we go to... We go to 2009 to the beach. Okay. Because so we, we go to we, the beach. We, we are reintroduced to the bully and the other guy, the guy who had all of the, the creepy tapes. tapes. It's 2009, and they are on the beach because they they had previously mentioned the the Nostradamus prophecy of the world ending in 2009, and they have effectively. 1999. It was, it's 1999. I'm sorry, you're right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Apologies. 1999 and seven months. 1999 and 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 seven months, and they uh, they have effectively joined a, a doomsday cult. Uh, yes. Of course, what doesn't happen in 1999 is nothing happens the world does not end and they have they they have a whole bunch of conversations and you know the the one the one guy mentions mentions how much he misses his son and the other the the bully guy is talks about how he's given up his job he's given up women just to move here and it was a lie it was a lie and and the the three sort of high priests of this cult uh, 
basically say, oh, uh, it turns out we were wrong. It was supposed to be 2009. We did the math and then, wrong. And then the, the main priest guy's like, 2012. It's like, no, shut up. Uh, tw- 2009. He's, he's supposed to be, a, I think, a younger version of the guy who enters the bookstore. Because he's the one that looks up at the sky and says, uh, flaming blonde hair. And I told everyone that it would be 2012 because th- they have an argument about whether it's 2009 or 2012. And that, okay, his, that is something I did not pick up on. Cause and I can't remember if it's a different, I, I can't remember if it's a different actor or I, they just kind of put less makeup on him. I think it is. I, I got to look that up then. Cause I, cause I did not get that because I thought that that particular person was. But you remember someone when that he's is introduced he, later when they're having that fight, he said, he looks up at the sky and says, you know, uh, it will be a comet, but blonde hair or something like flaming blonde hair. And when the guy enters, before he enters the record store at the beginning of the movie, he says the same thing. He says something about flaming blonde hair and he looks up to the sky. And he also mentions how he lived this entire life doing all this crazy stuff on other people's money. And now that the world is ending, he never doesn't have to pay off the debt. Right. That would make a lot of sense. I need to rewatch that particular bit. <laughs> so, yeah, and we, and we, yeah, I, I really liked, I, kind of, I was kind of curious as to how these two guys got really tricked into doing this. Because, you know, one has this <laughs> alpha personality who seems all he wants to do is like drink and sleep around. And the other guy just kind of seems to have his, you know, he's interested in occult stuff. So I can see how someone might kind of trick him into it. But yeah, I mean, these guys have been apparently been in this cult for a while. But they've only recently given up everything to go off with it. And I, <laughs> that whole segment is is a lot of fun. And the main the main catch all is one you get you know a little connective tissue between some of the stories because you get some recurring characters, but you also get the the hint that the guys who have kind of you know, taken over the cults with their 2009 prophecy are hell bent on getting a new Noah's Ark. They want a boat. Which leads us to the, cause we go back to 2012. We get a few more scenes between, between these, these cats and a little more information. And then we are transported to 2009 and a fairy that, uh, that is taking a group of teenagers, uh, a, on a field trip or something. On a field trip. And one of those teenagers falls asleep on a bench outside and misses getting off the boat and is therefore on her way to Hokkaido. And and if you're thinking, wow, that's really stupid, they would probably be really loud. Yeah, that's what the, everyone else on the boat thinks. Oh, they think this she, girl is like, but when she's real a, dumb. When she's asleep, she can't hear anything. Uh, exactly. But she is a science major at, uh, at, the, at a, a pretty well-known high school. And uh, she just happens to 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 find herself having missed the boat, sobbing and being comforted by by an elderly couple and by this waiter who accidentally brought her the wrong food a and a fruit tart. And uh, as we've learned, Which, that, <laughs> I got I got to say about her her her. I don't think this girl was a that bad of an actress, but when she was acting upset, when she was sniffling, it was the most like middle school play, bad 
pantomime acting of of sniffling while crying i think i had ever seen on screen <laughs> and this it's, is it's pretty bad basically i'm looking at the time that we have scheduled for this episode and i i think we need to move a little faster because there's so much more to talk about that it just i'm gonna cliff's notes this movie uh, uh, uh <laughs> it's my fault we're talking about playstation too much <laughs> yes uh, it is, but that's okay. It's so, my birthday, buddy. <laughs> hey, we'll 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 make it we'll make it work. So, so she is 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 finding herself now with with this waiter at the cafe on the cru- on the uh, not the cruise ship. It's the, the 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 ferry ferry, and he's telling her this hilarious sad story about how his father wanted him to be a champion of justice and and how he trained over and over again and. All for for his entire life, and what does that even mean? Because when does a champion of justice ever get to actually use their skills and all of this stuff? And wouldn't you know it, that fairy is about to be hijacked. I love I, 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 I love this scene. I love this scene because they show us this scene, and then they say in three minutes and thirty seconds, this fairy will be hijacked and they flash back to the rest of the scene uh and it and and all of a sudden this well because we get we get a little montage of like in the back people like kind of you know loading up clips into guns and taking guns out of bags and stuff so we know that something's going on and this is another thing that they have set up that i think is is interesting because they had in the last scene the the nostradamus guy talk about how much he misses his son and all of a sudden, all of these watches start beeping, and this dude's watch beeps. So you're like, huh, that's interesting. Maybe it's that guy's kid, and he's actually evil because he's making all these things. No, that dude beats the snot out of the entire... <laughs> it's, it is great. I love the scene where, he, where you know, the, the, basically the terrorists take over the boat, have everyone in the same area, says, this is what's going to happen... If you make a move, we'll shoot you. Even if you don't make a move, we might shoot you anyway. And in the background, you can see this dude, this waiter, standing there because he had just left because, oh, my pies are done. And he's holding this this apple pie in his hand. And when one of the guys, you know, recognizes, oh, we haven't gotten this guy yet, walks up to him. He does this great Super Sentai-like pose with the apple pie. And then, as Drew said, proceeds the, to beat the living snot out of everyone in this really cool over-the-top style. Like, very drunken master. Like, it's, while, it's, oh, it's, while it's, keeping it's the pie perfectly steady, it's great. He sets yeah. it down. Like, it's, it's, it's fantastic. And there, there's more to this scene that I don't want to get too into because I think it's, it, it, it's going to slow us down too much but we do see that it is in fact the cult from 2000 or from 1999 trying to capture their noah's ark for their thing and uh it it ends up with with the the dude being shot but then working his way out of he wakes up being tied up to one of the chairs and he ends up getting up and running off to fight the rest of the guys and another epic fight scene and then it's a bunch of gunshots and fade to black yeah, it's it's wonderful because, you know, we had just seen, OK, he just got shot. So, you know, he's not invincible. He's and, dislocated then, a bunch of his bones in order to get out of the, the ropes. 
But the way it's shot is you're looking at the girl, you hear the three shots, her smile completely drops, and then it cuts. And I think, is it from here that we go to 1973? I believe that we go back to 2012 for a moment, and then it's 1973, 1970. Yes, yeah, so 73, because they go to 77 it, at the end. Um, so here's where the movie, for some people, uh, almost every review of this movie is positive. It's got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got an 88% uh, audience score. And generally, in any publication that's, that did see it when it was doing the festivals was pretty glowing. The few criticisms I have seen for this movie is that it is overly long and it drags. Specifically, a lot of people point to this segment, which is weird because this is one of my favorite bits, mostly because I'm a big music nerd. But I, this, I, this I, movie, this is good. I get the criticisms of this scene, and I think that there is one change that would have made this just go faster. I don't disagree, but... I feel like this is where kind of the meat and potatoes, when the movie does kind of pause, tell you the story of the band and kind of delivers the mission statement of of the movie. And because everything that the band represents and believes in is is really the spirit of the film. And they do a really good job telling the story of this what we're told was this legendary kind of band that that went nowhere. They didn't get famous, so everyone kind of forgot about them. And then punk broke out a year later. <laughs> and so this this is this this segment is them writing recording their very last song, which is called "Fish Story." And uh, for for me, I think because the the acting in particular really sticks the landing. Um, and the same kind of you know, frenetic punk energy that the band brings to their music, I feel like is brought to the presentation of this film. Like you have, th- this is the bridge, like this is the guitar solo that was taken out of this story that when you put it back, pulls everything together for me. Um, well, well, so let's, let's get to it. So the, it's 1972. Uh, the, the band is playing in uh, this, Night club, nightclub, but a very seventies nightclub because it's a bunch of like half circle tables all pointed toward a stage. Yeah, it's, it's not. It's not. A, it's not. It's not a rock club at all. But everybody, everybody is 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 very nicely dressed, and they're playing what we know today is punk music. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm liking this. I'm liking this a lot. But then everybody in the audience is like, it's too loud. It's too fast. Play something good. Play some anka. Play some, some. Yeah, play some ballads. Play like we like folk music, and and, and they so do funny. they do set up this one younger Japanese woman that is there who's like into it. Yeah. yeah, but they so the the all of the the staff convinced them to play something something very nice and calm and normal, and so they do start playing like a ding 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 ding, ding that yeah, kind of like that kind of like early sixties rock kind of stuff, and as they get into it. All of a sudden, they flip the switch again, and they start singing in a punk version of this very famous song. It's like, ah! And then there's a huge fight that breaks out, and da-da-da-da-da. And at the back of this audience is a record producer who who says, you guys are coming with me. Let's make this happen. And then we flash forward a few years later to 1975, 
when they are recording and they're listening to they're basically it's the band that we have seen be totally punk and awesome and cool as they are watching this cheesy keyboard overdub of one of their songs that is trying to be put on by by a different record producer yeah it's it's i mean like watching this is like i and i because i know you know so many different uh, musicians and stuff. Uh, this is basically every musician's worst nightmare. You, like, there are collaborations that do work, but everyone's worst nightmare is, you know, getting into a a booth and getting a chance to do it, and then have someone basically go over everything with a black sharpie. <laughs> yeah, and and, so, and, it, and it happens quite frequently. And and and, and I don't want to because there's a lot in this this scene that I think is important, and, and I'm going to gloss over a lot of it because honestly, you guys should go see the movie uh, if, if our spoilers do anything. So the the band kind of storms out, and they go to have this sort of heartfelt conversation outside, and one of the members slips that he heard he overheard as he was trying to take a nap in one of the offices that the record label was going to drop them and that the next day was going to be the last time they were ever going to get to record. And it was, it's in it. And we see, a, we learned so much about this band in just a few moments. That mm-hmm. is really, really interesting that they, they provide so much characterization and so much about these particular, these four band members that we have seen play one song and now we know okay this is the the leader just because he's the oldest and this is the the <laughs> the hot-headed guitarist and this is the absent-minded drummer and this oh, is oh you mean every drummer of all time yeah <laughs> who also well, no, and I, I who also has you're... like seven kids i think they said he had a yeah he, he does also the best facial expressions yeah like every time that dude gives someone a look it's the best I, i'm glad you said something about that drew because I think those guys and their performance as band members, I wonder if they spent time a lot of time together before because through singular sentences, through their body language, through their facial expressions, you really did get so much of their history as people together that was unsaid or was minimally said in this film that I, I really think that the four, those four guys did a tremendous job playing the band. I mean, absolutely. It's 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 very, very interesting and fascinating, especially as we get into the next scene where they they kind of all, you know, go go home for the night. And <laughs> Shigeki, who is the leader of the band. Yes, we can mention names now. Um, yes. <laughs> has been informed by Goro that the the, the, the singer, singer that they are going to uh, going to have their last recording session the next day. And we also have Namiko, who is this super tall blonde haired Japanese woman that has been stumbling drunk the entire time that we have seen her in the movie so far. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, and it's, it's Shigeki who, who seems to be uh, romantically attached to her escorting her back home. And then as they get to, to their apartment, the, the band manager, um, his name I am forgetting now. Um, I, I can't remember his name either. And um, is it uh, Okazaki? Yes, Okazaki. And um, who is his, info- you know, Shigeki lets him know that they know that uh, their session tomorrow is going to be the last one. And Okazaki 
No, Okazaki is the record store guy. Okay. I I, <laughs> I can't remember. Because there's so few names you think I would remember because they say his name a few times. Um, but... Yeah. So, uh, anyway. Uh, but they he lets it slip that that the band is done, but that the record label wants to keep the singer Goro to continue his career. And there was an entire huge disastrous conversation when Namiko suddenly wakes up and has a lot to say and then <laughs> immediately goes to throw up in the, the bathroom. And this, <laughs> is, and this is where we are introduced to the book that is sitting on Shigeki's table, a book called Fish Story that he opens up and reads a bit of, and it is the, the opening lyrics to this song that we have now heard a few times in the movie and, and what this could mean. And we see him kind of writing a song, writing the lyrics to this song that, that, that we have seen in the movie so far. And then we flash to the next day where they go to record it. And this is where, again, we get so much character development, but I'm just going to skip to the reveals because as we get down to it, we now know, you know, they're, they're recording this song together and it, and, and it's a little slow and they basically argue like, yeah, we know this is the last day in here. So just let us for once do it our way. Yeah. And they get one take. They get one take. And the thing is that they're, they're not even angry about that. They're like, all right. That's that sounds like us. If if we mess up, well, it's it's on y'all. <laughs> yeah, and and so and, they, they they do this they do this take and and so far Shigeki is the only one that knows that Goro has been offered to continue his contract. You know, nobody else in the band knows this. They haven't acknowledged this, and Shigeki keeps glancing at Goro, and Goro keeps looking guilty. And they do this this fish story song, and they rock it out in the middle of the guitar solo Goro has this heartfelt speech about is anyone going to care about this please how can no one care about this amazing song that we are doing that we are singing right now it's such a fantastic moment because you are expecting your typical rock band biopic moment where the two guys have a blowout and that's why this song, you know, has weird moments in it. And it's not. It's because the band was being as real as possible. Like, I love looking at them, looking at each other playing, because you can tell, like, it's this idea that, like, if this is our last our last hurrah, we're going to make it count. Yeah. And it's it's absolutely wonderful. It's And it's also the, one of the first times you really get to hear the full song in completion for the most part, because what, what follows next is basically a music video. <laughs> yeah. So um, it, it's about the entire, the entire track. So, so we, we get that. And we now know that, that, that the reason that the, that the, that they, that the studio cut it out and there's a minute of silence is because they just wanted to be weird because that's what people were doing because they didn't want to record it again because they had the, they had the track, they had the track that meant something. And they didn't want to do it again because they knew it wouldn't mean as much and all of this stuff. And uh, that and that that is something that's super powerful for me, especially as we get into the next scene and really the pinnacle scene for me for this movie. They um, are 
Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, what, what I also love about the scene is it shows you the mundane origin of some of these crazy music urban legends. Like the the, ur- the urban legend about the woman screaming is very similar to um, roller co- Love Roller Coaster by Ohio Players, which had a very similar uh, urban legend about their song. And, and here you show, oh, it's because the band was trying to do something and the label wasn't going to let them. So they just took out that part and made it silent. Like, <laughs> because it, it, there's nothing crazy culty about it. Yeah. But this is where we get back to. So, so we're in 1975. They've recorded this. They're all at this little dive bar noodle restaurant. I love place. the scene so much. And they're having this conversation about what to call it and what to do and all of this stuff. And, and, and they're making all these decisions and, and the, the producer has come in and he comes in with his, with his young son, um, who I also presume is the guy with the cane later in the movie. Um, uh, no, the young son is the guy that works the record store. Because, you know, when it shows him watching that very same episode of Go Rangers and then the next scene, you see him holding the record in the store. Because I remember the I thought it was the I thought it was the the other guy. OK, this makes this makes some sense. Because the, the guy from. Uh, um, he wouldn't be the right age, the, the guy who the older guy in the store. Because it's if it's 1980 or for 1975, he would be maybe like late 30s. Um, whereas the the guy who is the cult leader is much older. Hmm. Okay. And because they're watching the same episode of Go Rangers, uh, and when you see him watching the episode, and then you then the move the scene cuts, and you see the guy at the record store that that's, that is always the impression that I got. That's interesting. And that, that that's very interesting that I, I hope no, that that's someone that's so great about a movie like this. Like there are so many things that like are going on. And again, I, this is my second time seeing it. So I, I was able to like pick up on some other things um, like that, but that was, well, that's what always uh, that was always my, We've all, take we, on that character. we've also forgotten something that happened in 2012 that we did not mention in one of the cutaways between these scenes it was announced that uh India has launched a rocket carrying five astronauts with more nuclear weapons on a mission to detonate the nuclear weapons that America left on the comet and I, I love that both the music nerds' first inclination is, oh, it's five heroes. It's got to be right. five heroes. Right. So uh, so that that's all going to play out in, in a little bit. Uh, but but in this scene, when when the, the producer comes in and they're talking about, you know, fish story as a concept, and we finally learn about this book, because they're worried about the rights and they don't want to plagiarize and all of this. But as it turns out, this book is not a plagiarism because the book was never released. It was is pulled from publication because it was it was garbage. They the It's also the only copy of the book in the, the world. The only copy of the book in the world because the rest of the copies were destroyed. Because as we find out the fish story and the this this odd <laughs> this odd thing that that Shigeki was trying to read into. 
is just nonsense. The the publishing company that was struggling to find translators hired a guy because he looked like he was part American and wasn't, could not speak English, and literally word for word translated a book based on a dictionary that he had. So it just meant nothing. The things that he was talking about. I... I, I love this because they talk about the nature of what a fish story is. And it turns out the origin of fish story is a fish story. Which, and which, which again, I, is something that once they explained it, I was like, of course that's what this is. Yeah, it's, I mean, that, that's the thing is like, the movie never is never condescending. Is when they reveal things, you're like, oh, okay. Like, it's really delightful reveals. It's not... There are movies that I've watched that actively I feel like try to make you feel stupid for not getting things or or something to that effect. And this one just doesn't. It's every reveal is just fun. Yeah. And I'm going to point it out because it it took me in this moment to realize, oh, of course, a fish story is just an exaggerated story. Like when you catch a big fish, which is why the <laughs> Tim Burton movie Big Fish was called Big Fish. I mean, it's <laughs> it's one of those things that that it just once that clicked for me, I was like, oh, I'm an idiot. They didn't make me feel bad for it. And I moved on from it really quickly. But it's like, of course, that's what this is. Yeah. Uh, but but that's where that's where this movie gets. This is where the best part of the movie happens for me as they're sitting around joking about this song and what it could possibly mean knowing it'll never sell well and and turns out it never sold well uh and it just ends up being obscure in 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 the world that oh what if in this minute of silence two people make eye contact and they yeah. fall in love and oh and what if that kid has a uh, what if they have an amazing kid and oh, the kid wins the nobel prize no they win the nobel peace prize and all of this silly stuff and then we're treated to the the sort of denouement uh we we are then shown that the 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 comet blows up the indi the indian uh team which is made which is an international team just going up in an indian rocket succeeds they have saved the world and then we go back to 1982 and we go back to meek driver guy with a stick in his hand and he goes and tries to help the 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 girl who's being attacked and he fails miserably in that process but then she <laughs> but then she saves him as part of that and then we flash forward a few years to their child together and then we flash forward a few years to the training montage that we are introduced to for the 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 champion of justice champion of justice which by the way has a great karate kid reference to it which i find fabulous uh did you catch which that one? i don't think i did okay so in the tra- oh, oh, oh what, 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 he's doing the, the wax on wax yeah, off. in the training montage he's painting a fence and they make a point to focus on his hand motions as he's painting the fence and then he's washing a window wax on wax off <laughs> Yes, and and we see That's that his yeah you, know, uh, you know obviously his dad is the uh, the guy that tried to rescue the girl. Yes, I, I can't remember if you mentioned that or not. Oh, I was getting to that. Yeah, okay, because that's the reveal. Because there's some 
there's some debate because they, you know, they we find out that one of the other guys has a son that he that he's involved in the Nostradamus cult. But no, so we find out that 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 the son of of the uh, of of Meek uh, uh, driver driver guy is the champion of justice. We then see the rest of his story play out. As he goes and beats everybody and the gunshots that we hear and the smile that drops on on the girl's face are well shots that the well dodged totally missed. And then we flash forward to the team of of astronauts that have saved the world by detonating. And it's four of the five. And they are talking about how how we couldn't do it without her. We couldn't do it without her. We couldn't do it without her. Oh, well, <laughs> Don't make fun of her because she she can't hear anything when she's asleep. And this was the biggest payoff because it was at this moment it was like she was a science major. Mm-hmm. And we flash over to the girl who has saved the day. It is the girl that Champion of Justice rescued in 2009 on the barge. I loved this. I loved this yeah. movie a lot. It's it's a really good connective moment. And I like I like that they did this. Some people like don't like when you see like everything unfold, but I kind of like seeing the the final connective tissue because this movie again, it, it's not tr- it's not trying to be tricky. Yes, it's going back and forth with how it tells its story because that's the ride. But to I I think best complete the song, you have to uh, for lack of a better uh term you gotta you gotta finish it off and so you you get basically the course of how this whole thing comes together and 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 just just the idea that they make this joke about how in that minute gap a guy would see a girl and they would fall in love and mm -hmm. their child would win the nobel peace prize and prevent world war three or whatever they said at the time because you think back to when he stopped the car was in the middle of the gap. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's a, it's a yeah. great, great, great moment. This is, this movie is, is almost like a great, uh, a great rock song is like you, you, you see it the first time and, or you hear it for the first time. And you're like, Oh man, that song's awesome. I like this part, this part, this part. And the more you listen to it, the more you appreciate the little things that go into the song that makes it work. And this movie is very, very similar in that because it, honestly drew until you just said that I didn't even think about connecting the, the minute time, even though I talked <laughs> about the minute time for, as a horror device, I had forgotten about that part of the conversation. And it's just, this movie has multiple layers that I think are cleverly done. They're not hidden. They're just there waiting for you to discover them. And um, I don't know. I, I know drew. I don't think you've seen this movie, but there was a movie that came out uh, in the West last year. Uh, from Japan called One Cut of the Dead. And I want to it is, see it, but I have not seen it. It is excellent. Okay, so Drew, One Cut of the Dead is the zombie version of Fish Story. <laughs> I mean, it is it is the same thing that Fish Story is to music to independent horror movies. Like, that is One Cut of the Dead. So if you liked this, you will absolutely love One Cut of the Dead. And they, they would also make a, an excellent double feature, but what I love about this movie is like it's 
its unending, almost defiant tone of hope, and especially in these times. <laughs> um, and I almost, I almost want to make this my comfort food movie because I, after the first time I finished it, for days I was thinking about it with a smile on my face and how it made me feel. Because one, these guys, they knew, they knew for a fact their song. They keep saying it'll never sell, but they they believed in their song. They knew this song is good. And they took pride and pleasure in the fact that we made a good song. And they keep saying it'll never never sell. They never said that it wouldn't mean anything. Exactly. And it's a great statement about music in general. I mean, there's, there's, I'm sure everyone has bands that they are super, super into or were super into that never went anywhere. Some of my favorite bands uh, broke up 10 years ago and no one still knows who they are. And that's (laughs) not a, uh, a cred call out. It's just that there, there are artists who made some fantastic music that went largely unnoticed. And this this movie is a great, beautiful gesture of, well, what if what if finally, you know, that happened and their music finally got their due? And and in in this movie, that song is directly responsible for saving the world. And I I just I love that sentiment. Yeah. It's 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 really really great, uh, and, and told in a way <laughs> that, that I think only Japanese cinema can. Yes. <laughs> Final thoughts, it's, Miles, on Fish Story. I, I kind of just gave. I mean, this is, again is one of my favorites. It's become one of my favorite movies. I think if if you need a little bit of a pick me up, this movie is a good place to go. And, and if you're a music nerd or a nerd in general, I mean the mu- the music store segments are basically like nerdier clerks. They're they're talking Gundam, they're talking Sentai, they're talking Armageddon. They're also talking music. Uh, the, yeah. And I will also say, uh, as as Miles and I determined right before we started recording, the song, the Fish Story song, it is not the Geki Khan. Not Geki Khan. What is the name of the band? Uh, uh, Gekiran. Gekiran. Uh, Geki Khan is a sake. Good Lord, listen to me. Uh, Gekiran. <laughs> it's not the Gekiran version, but it is the version by the the artist who wrote the music for the the movie uh, is available on uh, streaming services. So yeah, um, which is really fun. I mean, you can go on YouTube and get the the film version as well. But and I'm seeing this more and more is. I've said this a million times. If I had the means to start a um, a company, I would be buying up all of these Japanese and Korean films and giving them Western releases. Because, I mean, I'm thankful that Third Window Films is is putting out a Blu-ray, and it's going to be the first Blu-ray for this film. Because a fan base is slowly gathering. I actually found out about this movie because uh, Ben David Grabinski, who was the uh, creator of the recent 2019 are you afraid of the dark uh, revival tweeted about this movie? I think someone had talked about it. And he's like, this movie is incredible. If you haven't seen it, see it. If you love punk rock, if you love genre film. And I'm like, well, I love both of those things. I checked it out and it was such a pleasurable experience. Um, I, I, w- I would be buying these movies up because so few companies put them out. Um, and ah, I could go on about the, about that for an entire hour, but yeah, this this movie is is just it's something else. It, and it's one that I wanted to share with Drew because Drew is one of my few friends that definitely appreciates more Japanese stuff. <laughs> and uh, and I also like I like I, I think I told him earlier, 
I, I knew because of the Gundam reference that I was like, once they started Gundam and Sentai and their regular conversations, I was like, yeah, this is this this Drew will like this. He's he's not as big into like some of the music stuff as I am, but I think he'll really appreciate this. And and I did. I really, really appreciated this. And I I wish stuff like this was more available. I don't know. It's tough to tough to to to, to go further than that. Uh However, I feel like we need to to now switch our focus miles. We need to get oh, yes. back back to the the lesson at hand. Um, and I'll continue that hip hop lyric later. Um, <laughs> uh, we need to go back to our second chances, uh, our our final second chance. Uh, yes, we are going to be doing second chances next week. I understand next Wednesday is technically July 1st, but because, you know, I, I spent all of last week trying to get a new computer and we actually already started uh, the work for this episode, I felt like we we will just have to do it. So our previous second chances have been about revisiting things that, you know, maybe haven't aged well or or have aged differently than we thought this one is a little different. So we are going back to a game, a video game. Yes, I know. Amazing to think that we could t- to spend this kind of time on a game to something that unlike the things that we f- maybe fully understood or fully got at the time, but that our perceptions of it changed that maybe we didn't really get at the time. We're going to be covering the game Mist, the point-and-click adventure game Mist. Yes, um, this is something I, I'm, I'm glad. I, I had something else entirely that I, I think I wanted to do, but I was really glad that Drew brought this one up because there's not a hole I would say in my gaming time as PC gaming time from this era, but there's definitely I think um, the, the games that I haven't played since they came out and that maybe I didn't give them a fair chance or I didn't understand them. Uh, both are applicable to mist. Um, <laughs> and I think possibly still applicable to mist. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Uh, but there, there's a, a, a big hole of games that, especially PC games that I did not play during that time period. And I, I do kind of love point and click stuff. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to see I, this, this, this series has, or this, I guess it is a series. Um, a very, uh, tough, I would say, reputation, and I I like to think that I'm good at puzzle games, but <laughs> I I'm 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 a little worried. <laughs> to be we, honest, we will certainly certainly see. So this is something that I when I played back when it was new, I could not make hide nor hair of it. I didn't have the patience for it. I didn't have the the puzzle solving skills that I feel like maybe I have gained in the the 30 years since we'll see if that plays out if I if this game is any less foggy is the term that I'm going to use uh we are playing the we are not playing real mist we are playing mist the masterpiece edition that you can get for about six dollars on steam that uh, it may even be cheaper on sale. Uh, so real mist is a thing that exists that that does the whole world in a and not the point and click adventure style and the move around adventure style. 
Which, for the record, I was kind of leading towards because I thought it might be a little easier. I don't know that it would be any easier, but we'll see. Uh, But we are doing the good old-fashioned point-and-click style as close as we can get it. This is available on everything. You can get it on your phone. You can get it on your tablet. You can get it on your computer. We're... We're going to try it, and we're going to see what we can make out of it. And that is next week, Missed. So until next time, everybody, we are going to end this special birthday episode, like we always do, with a rousing nerd, nerd out. One day we'll get it. <laughs>